Have you ever noticed that the things that are really worthwhile in life, uh, the goals that you set before you, that are really worth pursuing and really worth attaining, they take discipline to achieve, don't they? Uh, they take a lot of hard work, a lot of focus, a lot of dedication, a lot of commitment. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I want to confess to you this morning, I'm having trouble focusing uh, this morning because in about 48 hours, I'm getting on a plane and I'm flying to Colorado. And it's pure vacation. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law, uh, I'm going with them, and they lived out there. And, and we're going just to camp and hike and explore in the mountains. And uh, I, I've never camped and hiked at that elevation um, so this is all a brand new experience. I've driven through Colorado, you know, uh, but I've never actually plopped down and stayed for a week. And uh, if I could retire anywhere and have a cabin in the mountains, Colorado would be that place. And so I'm just excited about this. Um, but I knew going into this, I signed up for this, you know, onto this trip back in like January, February timeframe. I knew it was going to take a lot of work to prepare. Um, I knew it was going to take uh, being in really good physical condition uh, to be able to do this because we're hiking up and, and we're going to try and top out in a couple 14,000-foot mountains. And so I, you know, in case you haven't realized, Illinois, we're kind of flat. Um, there's not a lot of mountains around here for me to go hiking into and prepare for. Um, so I hit the gym, and, and I hit the gym hard. Um, knowing that I had to do this, that I had to make that sacrifice. Um, so since February, I've been in the gym about six days a week, six different disciplines, routines, watching what I'm eating, all and getting ready for this trip. And, and since February, I've lost about 40 pounds um, doing this whole thing, just getting ready for this trip. Feels great. And, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of hard work. And we were at a baseball game with uh, my son, Ethan, and uh, I, I was carrying my daughter, Morgan, up the hill. And she's about 40 something pounds, you know, and I'm carrying up the hill. I'm pointing at my wife, sorry. Um, you're like, what does he keep looking at over there? Um, I'm carrying my daughter up the hill because for some reason she didn't want to walk. And, and it struck me that I've basically lost my daughter, you know. It's, it's as if I had been walking around with her piggyback everywhere I went. And, uh, and it was just great. But it, it took discipline. It took hard work. Um, there, there's a lot of days where I didn't want to go to the gym. Um, there's a lot of days where I wanted to eat the pizza and the chips and the soda because um, I'm, I'm not a health nut. I'm not a Whole Foods guy. I mean, I love my sausage and pepperoni pizza. And uh, we, we binged at Geo's one night, and I regretted it uh, for like 48 hours. Um, but, you know, it takes discipline. Anything worthwhile, anything you want to pursue requires discipline. And when we think about the Christian life, God has given us one of the most challenging goals. He's put before us one of the most daunting tasks that anybody could ever do. And that is to become like Christ. You see, the goal of us as Christ followers is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That when people look at us, they don't see us, but they see Christ reflected in us. And to do that, that takes discipline. It takes work. And so we're going to be starting a new series today. It's going to go for three weeks, and it's going to be called 21 Days with God, Learning to Listen. And we're going to focus on three spiritual disciplines. Uh, spiritual disciplines are essentially habits um, that we embrace, disciplines that we embrace, so that we can draw near to God and become more like Christ. Uh, spiritual disciplines uh, include things like prayer, uh, where we get down and, and, and we open ourselves up to God, and we, 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 we look at Him, and we seek His face, and we listen to what He has to say to us. Uh, disciplines like uh, studying God's Word, you know, we're, we're people of the word, which means that we have to know this book. 
uh, we see in here who God is and, and what his desire is for us as, as men and women of God and, and what he wants us to do in the world. And so, so to understand and to draw near to God and to become like Christ, we've got to know this book. Uh, it's spiritual disciplines like uh, confession, where we confess our sins to Christ. It's, it's spiritual disciplines like worship, and, and not just musical worship. Um, if, if you've gone through First Step, our new member class, uh, Nate teaches a great session in there about what worship really is. And, and worship is giving your whole body, your whole life, uh, every thought, every deed, every action, every word to God. It's declaring the worth of God with your life. It's 24-7. It's, it's spiritual disciplines like uh, meditating on God's word. And, and not like the New Age mysticism where you sit in you know, lotus position, you empty your mind, and you think of nothing. Christian meditation is actually focused thinking. Uh, you take a, a scripture, you take something about a concept about who God is, and you focus on it, and you sit there and contemplate that for an extended period of time. Uh, last, last week, uh, my family and I were in Indiana. Uh, I have a friend who runs a retreat ministry over there. And we went over, I'm on their board of directors, and we had our annual face-to-face board meeting. Well, it's at this camp in the middle of Indiana, and, and we're running a festival, running a booth in the afternoon, and we had about 45 minutes to kill before the festival started and all the people showed up. And uh, so Ethan and I are off exploring, and he sees a big pile of, of white rock. And, you know, boys love rock, so he's picking up the rocks, and I'm envisioning broken glass and injuries and blood, you know, and, and he's wanting to climb up on the rocks. And, and so I go over there to see what the rocks are all about, and all of a sudden we, we see through the trees there's this prayer labyrinth uh, that the camp had created. They'd taken these white rocks and create, put a cross in the middle of this clearing and then put this pathway that you follow, you know, all around and kind of going around this way and that. And, and, and the whole idea of a prayer labyrinth is that you go into it and as you're walking, you're praying and you're meditating on who God is and, and maybe on a scripture. And so, you know, Ethan's seeing this and he's like, hey, it's a maze. And I said, well, a little more than a maze and, and explain what it was and and he said, well, what do you do? And some great teachable moment. So we walked through this prayer labyrinth together. And I, I dissected Psalms 4610, um, be still and know that I'm God. Uh, just a great verse for a prayer labyrinth. So as we're walking, I, I said to Ethan, I'm like, what does it mean to be still? And he's like, well, it means to, to stop doing stuff. I'm like, yeah, exactly. And I said, what does it mean to know? When you know something, what, what does that mean? He's like, you just, you know it. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you describe knowing something? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like two plus two, you just know is four. And I, I'm like, you know, so we're, we're supposed to sit still every now and again. And this is all while we're doing this prayer labyrinth. We're walking this way and that, and the cross is in the center of the prayer labyrinth, and we look up at that every now and again and, and say, okay, so we're supposed to be still, and we're supposed to know something and intrinsically, deep down inside. Um, we're supposed to know something. And, and what is that thing we're supposed to know? Like who God is. So we're supposed to take time every now and again, Ethan, and, and be still and know deep down inside, the very, very core of our being, who God is. And I think if there was a summary for this three-week series that we're starting today, it would be that. That God wants us to take time to be still and to know who he is. And so we're going to be looking at three spiritual disciplines, three habits to incorporate into your life. Fasting. Sabbath rest and solitude. I want to draw your attention to these chairs over here. We're going to have these on the stage for the next three weeks. I want you to, to envision that God is sitting here in this chair. Okay? 
Um, I, I do a lot of work in coffee shops and Panera and the blend and places like that. And I'll, I'll go and I'll meet people and, uh, we'll just sit down and, and we'll have a conversation. And, uh, I'm, I'm wanting to know who they are, kind of where, where they're at in their life. Um, we'll, we'll have some surface level questions and every now and again, I'll throw a zinger in, you know, a little probing question and they'll kind of get a look of shock on their face. Like, did you really just ask that? You know, and, and we'll, I'll just sit and listen. I just want to sit and I want to listen to who they are and where they're at with God, where they're going. I want you to envision that, that God is always in that chair. And that God is always ready to talk with us if we're willing to sit down in the other chair. If we're willing to sit down and engage in a conversation with him. And, and talk to him and tell him what's going on in our lives. But, but also just sit and listen. And, and see, the problem is, so often in our lives, um, we, we don't think about this chair as much as we need to, as much as we should. Uh, we're over here, and we're doing things, and, that, and that's fine. I mean, God doesn't call us to, to always just sit and focus and meditate, but he wants to know what's going on in our lives. But, but we're always so busy over here, and then we look over and like, oh, yeah, God, I, hey, I haven't, sorry, I haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah, things are going good. Things, things are going well, yeah. What? I'm, I'm sorry, the baby's crying. Hold on a second. And we get up out of the chair, and we forget about God for a little while, and we, we take care of the current crisis, emergency, and, and we get it resolved, and then maybe we go back, maybe we don't, and, and then a, a week or two later, we'll, oh, yeah, forgot, God's, God's over here, and he, won't, he wants to talk. So we sit down. Yeah, yeah, no, things are, things are good, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you, want, you want to talk about that? Um, hey, I've got to go pack for vacation. Uh, we, we just ignore God, but God isn't pushy. God won't necessarily intrude in your life. He's just patiently waiting, sitting over here in the chair going, you know, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to know what's, what's going on in your life. And it's the spiritual disciplines Prayer and study and, and journaling and, and confession and fasting and Sabbath rest and solitude. It's those disciplines that, that put us in this chair where we can engage in conversation with God. Uh, we did this series a year ago, uh, 21 Days with God, and, and uh, we had the entire church uh, read one chapter of John's gospel every day. And then we gave out journals and we challenged everybody to journal. And so the two spiritual disciplines were Bible study and journaling. And the pastors journaled, and we did it on, our, on blogs, and so people could see what our thoughts were on the scriptures. And it was a great three-week series. It really got people into the Word, and really got people journaling. And, and we heard stories from people that they never had embraced journaling before. They, they never had a consistent daily quiet time studying God's Word. And, and so we're hoping that as we offer this 21 Days with God on, on an annual basis, maybe every couple times a year, that as we introduce these spiritual disciplines to you, that you'll, you'll, you'll accept our challenge. You'll try it. No matter how daunting it is. No matter how scary it may be. And the, the spiritual discipline I'm going to introduce you today, many of you are going to look at me and go, there is no way that I can do that. I am not willing to cross that line. That scares me more than anything else. I, I want to talk today about fasting. Going without food. For a spiritual purpose. Uh, if you have your bulletins, uh, inside your bulletin you see uh, an insert like this. It's a little uh, larger than normal. We've got the normal, you know, fill in the blanks and text here. And then there's something on the inside as well. Um, don't, don't go sitting reading this while I'm talking, please. Um, <laughs> I want your attention up here. Uh, you'll have plenty of opportunity later to read that. 
um, and I'll reference that inside part. But uh, just follow along with me, if you would, uh, on the front here. This isn't going to be your normal sermon. Um, this, is, this is more of a, a topical study. This is a, this is a Bible study, basically. Um, if, if we can just sit down, we can have a Bible study. Picture, picture we're at a coffee shop, and you come to me and you say, Hey, Chris, tell me about fasting. And I go, okay, well, let's look at the Old Testament, let's look at the New Testament, let's talk about how that applies to our lives today. That's basically what we're going to do for the next 20 minutes or so, all right? So let me give you a definition of fasting. Biblical fasting is simply abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. It's not just skipping a meal. It's not just accidentally missing a meal. I was talking to a friend of mine last night, and he goes to church here, he knows what I'm teaching on this morning, and he says, you know, I fasted before, I forgot my lunch money last week. You know, like, yeah. and he knew that wasn't fasting. He was having fun. Um, but when we take a biblical fast, we abstain from food for spiritual purposes. It, it, it's denying the physical to focus on the spiritual. It's giving up the natural to focus on the supernatural. And when we look at scripture, and we're going to look at Old Testament, New Testament, all of those biblical fasts um, involved abstaining from food and sometimes even from water. Uh, that's called an absolute fast, where people go days without food or water. Now, um, before we, we get into the scriptures, I, I just want to ask, how many of you have ever done a biblical fast? Not just skipped a meal, but actually fasted for a spiritual purpose. Raise your hand. Okay. Very good. Uh, you're not more spiritual if you have. You're not less spiritual if you haven't. It's just a discipline that a lot of people don't know about. It's a discipline that is rarely taught in churches. And uh, so our hope today is that a year from now, if we were to ask you, how many of you have done a fast, the majority of you would raise your hand, even if it was just one time uh, that you would experiment with this. Uh, so let's look at the Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament. Uh, what does the Bible have to say? What does Scripture have to say about fasting? There, in Scripture, there's only one fast in the Old Testament that was required. Uh, when God came down and God said to the nation of Israel, uh, you know, you're my people and I want you to do this, and, and it, he, he gave it only one time where he said, one day a year that I want you to fast. And that was called the Day of Atonement. Uh, it was an annual event when uh, the entire nation would go without food, and they would, they would spend the day in prayer. They would go to the temple, and they'd make sacrifices uh, to cover their sins. Uh, we read about the Day of Atonement in Leviticus. Um, we're getting really Old Testament here, right? Uh, Leviticus chapter 16. Uh, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you'll be, clean, you'll be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. Did you catch that words, those words, Sabbath of rest? Now, Bill's going to be teaching on that next week. But here is, in the Old Testament, the entire nation of Israel, millions of people, were supposed to take one day every year, the same day, and fast and pray and make sacrifices for their sins. That's the only fast the Old Testament uh, commands. Now, as things happen, uh, the, fa the idea of the fast evolved. Uh, the nation of Israel, they took it and they said, okay, that's, that's a great experience. Let's take that and add to it a little bit. And uh, so we see in the book of Zechariah, which is the tail end of the Old Testament, uh, that evidently there were four fasts in addition to the Day of Atonement. There were four other days of the year that the nation of Israel said, let's go ahead and go and, and not eat and spend that day in prayer and remembering something. And so in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, uh, we see again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions uh, and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. 
the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth months. Why those days? Why, why those months? Why those fasts? Uh, what the nation of Israel did was they went back in their history. And they said, you know, this, this moment in our history, this, this was a critical moment. And, and these four days that they're remembering every year, uh, they, were, they were days of mourning. And they were days of sadness because of tragic things that happened to them as a nation. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar coming in and, and sacking Jerusalem and, and being led away in captivity. Days like that. And so they said, you know what? We want to remember our history. And so we're going to take a day and we're going to focus on God and, and remember what he's done for us. And to make that even more of a commitment, we're going to go without food for that day. So we have four annual fasts um, in addition to the Day of Atonement. Now, we also see in the Old Testament that fasts were done in times of mourning. Uh, when somebody had died or there was a tragedy and, and you wanted to, uh, to go into a time of mourning for that loss. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12, uh, we see that David and his people mourned the death of Saul. King Saul and his son Jonathan. Uh, king Saul was the first king of Israel. David replaced him. Uh, but remember, David would never raise his hand up against Saul because Saul was God's anointed. And so in the battlefield, Saul and his son Jonathan die. Um, and David and his men want to mourn the loss of Saul. Uh, just an incredible story. But uh, it says they mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. So we see uh, David and his men, uh, they're mourning the loss of someone significant. And they say, you know what, in our mourning, let's, let's go without food for that so we can, we can just enter into that mourning even more so. Uh, now in the Old Testament as well, we see uh, fasting to seek an answer from God. Uh, Queen Esther, if you remember the story of Esther, uh, the king has banished his wife, is looking for a new wife. Esther becomes the chosen one. Uh, well, then there becomes this assassination plot against the entire nation of Israel. And, and Esther is, is a, a Jew. She's a member of that nation. And she learns about the assassination plot. And she realizes that she has access to the king that has power over the, everything that can happen that nobody else has. And her uncle Mordecai is saying, you know, this is your time. You need to step up. But she knows, even as the queen's wife, if I enter into the presence of the king without being invited, he could kill me. He has that right. He has that freedom. And so seeking an answer from God, whether or not she should go in uh, and present herself before the king and make her request to save her people, uh, she says to, to uh, her uncle Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink an absolute fast, no food, no water, for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And so all of the people went into this three-day fast as she sought an answer from God in, in hoping that, that the king would save her people. Uh, we also see in, in 2 Samuel uh, a story, tragic story, where David, uh, we know the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, he sleeps with another man's wife, and uh, she becomes pregnant, and he kills uh, the, the husband. And um, God, I don't understand it, I don't like it, but God strikes the baby down with an illness. And it's very evident the baby's about to die. And so David goes into a time of, of prayer and of fasting and of, of mourning um, for this baby in hopes that, that he can turn God's um, anger away, that he can, he can um, save the baby. Uh, the baby ends up dying, and uh, 
David hears about it. He gets up, he takes off the, the, the sackcloth, the burlap sack, and washes his face, takes a bath, and, and eats again. And uh, his, his servants come to him, and they're kind of confused. They're, they're bewildered, like, why, why would you do that? I mean, when, when he was alive, you were doing all the things that you do when you mourn. And so they asked him about it, and he, he says, You know, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not come to me or he will not return to me. So David is seeking an answer from God. Uh, and then a couple more in the Old Testament, uh, and then we'll move on. In Second uh, Chronicles, uh, we learn about um, th- there's this national emergency. Uh, Jehoshaphat's the king. And uh, he gets word through his servants that, that there's armies, nations surrounding uh, the nation of Judah. And they're going to kill. They're going to come in and, and maim and destroy. And Jehoshaphat goes in and he says, you know what? Let's declare a national fast. Everybody fast. Everybody pray. And let's seek God out for this crisis, this national emergency. Um, Ezra, another leader of, of Judah, of Israel, um, at one point, uh, they're returning from Babylon to Jerusalem after being captive. And uh, they, they're going to go through this valley. And the valley is known as a, as a den of thieves and robbers and murderers are in there. And so he's leading all of these people through there. And so he says, before we go in, let's pray and let's fast and ask God to keep us safe. And they go through the valley and they're saved. Uh, now, there's more scriptures in the Old Testament about fasting and uh, that's just kind of a, a crash course in the Old Testament fasting. But you begin to see how fasting as a spiritual discipline was practiced in the Old Testament. It was, it was a day of mourning. Uh, it was an annual event in the entire nation. It was a call to seek God's face. It was a, a cry in, in national emergency. What about, what about the New Testament? What do we see uh, fasting? How is that portrayed in the New Testament? Uh, well, if you turn to Luke chapter 4, uh, we know about the temptation of Jesus uh, that Jesus is led by, by um, God into the wilderness, and uh, um, he's going to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. Uh, well, Scripture tells us, uh, it says, um, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Well, duh. <laughs> you know? When you go 40 days without food... And, you know, granted, he's God, but he's still human, and there's things that you need. And Jesus goes 40 days without food, and Scripture tells us he's hungry. Okay, I understand that. But it was a time of, of preparation. As Jesus was preparing to go into his ministry, he needed to have that time set aside uh, to be tested by Satan, to, to be um, encouraged by God. And so he embraced fasting. He gave up food. He denied himself the physical to focus on the spiritual. Now, Jesus wasn't the only one that fasted. In fact, the religious leaders of the day fasted. Uh, scripture tells us that they fasted two times a week. Um, we read in Luke 18, uh, two men went up to this. This is a parable of Jesus. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. Uh, one a Pharisee, and that's the religious leader of the day. And the other a tax collector who was on the very other end of the, the totem pole there. And he says, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Uh, isn't that a great prayer to pray in church, you know? I am so glad I'm not like you all. Uh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. That's uh, welcoming, right? Um, he says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
You see, the Pharisees practiced fasting two times a week. And what they did, though, it was all for external purposes, all for show. Um, they would go down to the marketplace on the two busiest days when people were coming in from the villages and the surrounding countryside to buy food and to trade and barter. And they would, they would cover themselves in, in ashes and sackcloth, and they would stand on the street corner and cry out about what they're doing for God, and they're fasting, they're giving up food. It'd be like going to the local grocery store, Jubilee, and and on the busiest day of the week, standing out front going, I am more spiritual than you, for I am not eating today. You go on and get your food, you heathens. You need your food. I do not. I have God on my side. That's basically what the Pharisees were doing. And and everybody just kind of saw it. It was all for public show. And in fact, Jesus has some pretty harsh words for the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 6, he's teaching his Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of his uh, preeminent sermon and goes from Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And, and he's talking about a, kind of a new way of living out the faith. And he says in chapter, in chapter 6, verse 16, when you fast, we can just pause there for a second. When you fast. Not if you fast. Not, hey, Kind of a nice idea if occasionally you fast. Hey, it'd be a really cool thing if occasionally you would, you would think enough about me, you know, as God to, to go without food. You know, it's just, if you want to, you know, it's your call. No big deal. That's not what he says. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, the Pharisees. For they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face. In other words, take a shower. Take a bath. Don't draw any attention to yourself. Uh, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I, I remember the first time I learned this lesson. Uh, it was at the hands of my, my wife. Uh, we were dating. We were in college, uh, campus ministry days. And, and uh, our campus ministry had taught us about fasting. And not just the food fasting, but talking about other things that control us and, and maybe we need to give up. And we're going to talk a little more about that in here in a little bit. But, um, so, so we got this whole idea of fasting. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate some time to God. And, and at that point, I watched a lot of TV. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give up TV for a week. And any time that I would normally watch TV, I'm going to spend time in prayer and studying God's Word. And so I remember during that week, about halfway through, I go over to Karen's house, and she lived with five other women in the house, and she and I are in the living room where the TV is, and it's off, and we're just kind of hanging out talking, and one of her roommates comes in and turns on the TV, and I, <laughs> I stand up, and I go, I've got to leave the room. I can't watch TV. I'm dedicating that time to God, and walk out, and I'm like, I look back at that, I'm like, what a jerk. I was pompous, pious, whatever. I don't know what I was trying to be. And uh, she, she politely slapped me around later. And uh, she said, Chris, um, by the way, when you fast, you're not supposed to let anybody else know it. And she pulled out Matthew 6, you know, in this passage here. I'm like, oh, um, hmm. I felt really bad then. But when you fast, don't let anybody else know. Uh, as well in, in the book of Acts, as the church begins to go out, uh, we see fasting plays an, an integral role. Uh, in fact, when Saul uh, is converted, he, he becomes Paul. He's on the road to Damascus, and, and Christ uh, talks to him, presents himself there, and he's blinded. And uh, he's led by hand into the nearest town. 
And it says that for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything, an absolute fast, no food, no water for three days. Uh, later in Acts chapter 13, uh, the church was seeking God's face uh, through worship and prayer and fasting. And it says in, in the church at Antioch, no, I'll pass up that. It says uh, while, they were, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they're worshiping and they're fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted, even more days without food, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on Saul and Barnabas and sent them off to the missionary work. And so we see that fasting plays an integral role in the, in the New Testament as well. And it didn't stop there. Uh, the idea of fasting carried on into church history and into, into actually into civilization after that, and, but especially in church history. Um, Epiphanius, I have no idea how to say his name, um, he was born in AD 315, so he's old. Um, but, uh, you know, he's the Bishop of Salamis, which when you're talking about fasting, um, that's a horrible name because, you know, all I think about is salami. And I just wanted a sandwich. Um, so Epiphanius, I have no idea, uh, says, Who does not know that the fast of the fourth and sixth days of the week, in other words, Wednesday and Friday, are observed by the Christians throughout the world? See, the early disciples, they chose Wednesday and Friday, uh, still the two days a week of fasting, uh, because the uh, Pharisees did Tuesday and Thursday. And they, they wanted the practice of fasting. They didn't want to be associated with the hypocritical way that the Pharisees did it. And so they still fasted twice a week. Uh, now, eventually in church history, uh, fasting several days before Easter, in preparation for Easter uh, services and celebrations, um, that led to a, a one-day fast for multiple weeks leading up to Easter, uh, which is where in the Catholic faith you have the not eating meat on Fridays. That's where that evolved from. Uh, eventually evolved into a 40-day fast called Lent uh, leading up to Easter. And uh, it wasn't actually giving up food, but it was giving up something else in, in your life. And uh, we're starting to see more and more non-Catholics as well uh, that are embracing the idea of Lent and fasting and giving something up in preparation for Easter. Um, throughout history, political and mil military leaders, uh, they've embraced fasting as a spiritual discipline. And, and, and there's, there's been times where political leaders have called their nations to a day of fasting uh, because of a national crisis, just as we saw in the Old Testament. And so we see uh, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, throughout early church history, throughout our you know, global history, that fasting has played an important role. And yet somewhere along the lines, we've lost track of this spiritual discipline. We've stopped embracing it. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to I spend just a few minutes talking about why we need to embrace this spiritual discipline. As I said before, we fast to draw near to God, uh, to, to go into that chair and, and to have extended time to sit with God, uh, to experience a, a fresh encounter with God, to, to rekindle our spirit, to ignite our hearts. Uh, fasting isn't simply about eating. It, it's not about uh, giving up food for a period of time for health reasons. It's not a, a hunger strike and saying, unless this changes, I'm not going to eat. You know, It's not those things at all. But when we fast... We set aside the time we would normally eat, and we, we sit in this chair. And we say to God, God, um, you are more important than food. And instead of eating, I'm going to spend time with you. Uh, we're going to pray, we're going to talk, I'm going to journal, I'm going to study God's word, uh, whatever it is. But I'm going to enter into that time instead of eating breakfast, instead of eating lunch, instead of eating dinner. Uh, we see this actually in Jesus uh, when he's being tempted by Satan. He's in the wilderness, he's, he's fasting for 40 days, and, and Satan actually says, turn these rocks into bread. And remember Jesus' response? 
He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's something else you've got to understand is that the fasting is not done by itself. It's not simply that you skip a meal, but it's that you, you embrace prayer, you embrace study and journaling uh, along with that. Fasting is what's called a complementary spiritual discipline. It's done in conjunction with other disciplines. And this is why it helps us learn to listen. When we sacrifice that time and set it aside and give it to God, we begin to hear his small, still voice. Uh, Ronnie Floyd in his book, The Power of Prayer and Fasting, says to fast means to deny ourselves what is common, normal, and necessary, food, for a period of time so that our minds will become sharp, our hearts softened, and our spirits receptive to what God has to say to us. Now the problem is, as we talk about embracing this spiritual discipline, we are crafty people. We like to justify and rationalize, and we will come up with every excuse to not fast. Every, every possible reason why I can't go without a meal. I can't go without two meals or three meals or seven meals. Yeah, I've got to have food. You know, there's, there's a couple myths I want to highlight. Um, one is, I'm not going to be able to hear God. My stomach's going to be growling too loud. Okay? Granted, um, the first 24 to 48 hours when you go without food, yeah, your stomach grumbles a lot. Um, you're, you get migraines or headaches, and especially if you drink a lot of coffee and you, you give that up. I mean, your body just reacts. You get crabby. Um, you know, that's why you let only your family know that you're doing this, but, so they understand why you're crabby. Um, but your body just reacts in weird ways. And what you got to understand is that's normal because we, we've, we've conditioned ourselves to need that food and need all that stuff. Um, and, and maybe a way to look at it is when your stomach growls, it's a reminder of why you're doing it. It's a reminder to say, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be over here in this chair. Yeah, that's, that's why my stomach's growling, because I've got some conversation with God I've got to have. Another myth is, is that we have to have three meals a day. Uh, now, granted, for some of you, you have medical conditions that require you to eat something, maybe, maybe something big, something small, I don't know. But you've got to eat something on a regular basis. But the vast majority of us, we can skip a meal or two or go multiple days without food and be just fine. But we've bought into this myth that we've got to have three meals a day. We've got to have breakfast. We've got to have lunch. We've got to have dinner. Um, and it's just it's not true. The human body was designed to live uh, three minutes without oxygen, three days without water, and three weeks without food. You can survive. And uh, in fact, setting aside the spiritual, uh, the medical industry has documented several benefits of fasting, just a pure you know, not eating food. And when you stop eating food for a day or two, the toxins begin to be released from your body. All this stuff that we put inside of us, it's in our food and, and our soda and all that stuff. I mean, it just starts to come out of you. And it, you start to release that. In fact, the weirdest thing that happens when you go a couple days without food is your tongue turns white. Don't know why, other than they, t- they say that's where all the toxins are, are most easily released is outside your tongue. Um, I, did a, I did a couple fasts in preparation for this and, and had other focus for it as well. But I remember looking in the mirror one day, and I'm like, why is my tongue white? Like, it freaked me out. And I called up a friend of mine who's done some fasts, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's normal. He's like, does your body start smell yet? I'm like, I don't <laughs> What? Um, evidently, I mean, you're, it just comes out of your pores. All this stuff, the negative stuff that we put in you, in ourselves. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not a health nut. I'm not a Whole Foods kind of guy. I mean... I like my pizza, Doritos, and soda, you know, as anybody else. Um, so I'm not saying this from that standpoint. I'm just saying it's what happens to your body is you give your body a chance to rest, 
and the toxins, all the negative stuff starts to come out. In fact, when you don't have food, your body doesn't need energy to digest food. It diverts it to the immune system, and you actually become healthier. Um, it's why we don't eat when we're sick, and why uh, if you have animals, they don't eat when they're sick. is because the body is diverting that energy to the immune system. And so throughout history, uh, doctors, some doctors have uh, prescribed fasts, a regular fast, as a way to heal your body. But again, that's purely physical. Uh, and, and that's really where we come up with the most excuses. Um, we, we, we don't have a problem saying, yeah, I'd like to sit in this chair a little more often. Uh, we don't have a problem saying, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk with God a little more often. Um, but you want me to give up food? The very core essential thing of, of what I need? You can do it. Yeah, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be tough. And, and I encourage you to do it. One, you got to ramp up to it. Start with one meal. Uh, skip lunch one day. And, and you're at work, you're at home. Uh, rather than having lunch, sit in, sit in that chair. Break out your Bible. Study God's word, pray, journal. And you go through a meal, and then maybe another week later, you try a whole day. And, you know, if you, if you have dinner one night, and you skip breakfast and lunch, and you sit in that chair, uh, those two meals, and then you have dinner, you've just done, done a one-day fast, a 24-hour fast. Um, you've gone that length. And, and try that. And maybe God will call you to a multi-day fast where you go for two or three days or seven days or or 21 days. Who knows? And God has called people to do all those types of fasts. But you've got to ramp up to it because you won't like it. You'll try it once and you'll be like, that was the worst experience I've ever had. I was horrible. And it will. It will be. But you've got to persevere through it. So you've got to commit to at least two times where you're going to try fasting because the first time you're going to hate it. So why should we fast? Fill in the blanks here for you. Um, number one, to enhance your prayers and worship. When we combine fasting with our prayer and our journaling and our study and our worship, God looks down and goes, whoa, this, this guy's serious. It's, it's not just a normal prayer. I mean, he's, he's actually given up food. And God begins to listen. Not that he's not already, but uh, we start to dial into what he wants to do in our lives. Begins to enhance our prayers and our worship. Um, our prayer team, we, we used to meet weekly and and as we got into the summer, we had you know, one or two people who show up at a time. And so now we're going to monthly, um, the first Thursday of every month. But, but one of the things that we're adding into that is I, I've challenged everybody on the prayer team to fast one day a week. And just during those mealtimes, uh, to sit in the chair and to pray about Great Oaks, and about what God is doing in, in our church and where he's taking us. And, so, and, and a lot of those prayer team members have, have committed to that. And they're nervous. You know, they're scared, some of them. And I, I was too when I first started fasting. Um, but you've got you to persevere through that. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You want to humble yourself before God? You want to tell him you're serious? Go without food for a couple days. Spend that time in the chair talking with him. Why else? Uh, to seek direction from God. We fast to seek direction from God. Uh, when we've got something and we're, I mean, just this big thing going on in our lives and you can't really put your finger on it, you don't know what God's calling you to do, and, and maybe you need to embrace fasting. Maybe it's to, to seek out an answer from God. Uh, my friends that run the retreat ministry in Indiana, um, he ramped up to a 40-day fast. He's done it three different times. I've gone 40 days with just food and juice. And, uh, I mean, he's the one I call. And I'm like, is this normal, <laughs> my tongue? And he's like, yeah. Uh, his wife said his body stank um, during the fast, and she couldn't sleep in the same bed with him. Uh, but that was like day 21, so don't worry about that. Um, but he's, you know, he got done with the fast, 
And he went into it with, with a different purpose, different reason. And out of it, it became obvious that God wanted them, their grandparents, to sell their house, sell everything they own, and go do this retreat ministry. And so they now live in a, a camp, uh, on this camp in Indiana, um, probably about 500 square foot cabin that they have, uh, husband and wife. And they run group and individual retreats and teach people how to go into a deeper walk with God. Uh, Bill, our lead pastor, uh, when he was making the decision to leave his previous church, uh, he went into a time of prayer and fasting and he did a 13-day fast and made that decision to leave that church in Virginia. Um, when I made my decision to leave the church, I went to Vegas. Um, I, I did. My, uh, my mentor is out there. I went out there and sat at his feet for four days and we ate tremendously good food. Um, oh my gosh, it was wonderful. I didn't fast on that decision. Um, but maybe there's a decision that God's got before you and, and you haven't been able to sort it out, but you can sense it's a burden on your heart. Maybe you need to embrace fasting and sit in that chair during those meals. Maybe you need to fast to reveal what controls you. And this is what I did in college with that TV. And uh, Bill uh, actually challenged me. He said, you know, you should fast from Facebook, Chris. I was like, not ready for that one yet. I'm not that serious, God. Um, I'm just kidding. I am that serious. But yeah, that would be, t- be a tough one. Uh, you know, to go without email, without Facebook, without checking blogs for a week. I'm going to Colorado. I'm going to sit in the mountains. I'm going to have my Blackberry with me, you know. Maybe, maybe it's, it is a computer. Maybe it's a TV. Maybe it's, maybe it's caffeine. Maybe it's coffee. And, and maybe what you need to do is go for a week, and, and instead of going to the coffee shop and buying that extra large, you know, grande espresso, double shot, mocha, whatever, you know, you say, you know, I'm going to go for a week without that. And the $72 I would have paid for that each time, um, I'm going to give to a homeless person. I'm going to give to a child overseas. I'm going to give to a mission to help somebody else in need rather than have that coffee. Maybe that's the fast that God's going to call you to. Maybe there's something in your life that's controlling you and God's saying, you know what, we need to, we need to get rid of this in your life. So three reasons. To enhance your prayers and worship, to seek direction, and to reveal what controls you. Now, the question is, how do you fast? And that's what this is. Grab this, look at the inside. Uh, Bill Bright uh, wrote this. He's the founder of Campus Crusade. He died back in 2003. Uh, but he's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And, and he and his organization um, believe strongly in prayer and fasting. Um, from what I understand, every January, they went into an extended fast, 30, 40 days at a time, his whole organization, um, to pray and seek out God's direction for their organization for that year. And uh, he's got some incredible stuff in here about how to fast, how to prepare for it, um, what you need to do during the fast, and then how you come out of the fast. Um, because you've got to prepare yourself to go into it, and you've got to be careful when you come out of it. Um, one of these, these uh, multi-day fasts I did recently, um, I ended uh, on a, um, uh, we had a golf outing, and I, I needed, you know, yes, I needed a little energy. And so I ended the fast, planned it, where I would have lunch at this golf outing. And I remember I had a half of a V8 and two bites of a sandwich um, and an apple. And my stomach, man, that was an incredible amount of food. You go a couple days without food, and then you have that. Um, so you got to be careful. Don't gorge yourself going into it, and don't you know hit the buffet <laughs> to break the meal. Uh, you'll be paying for it uh, for a couple days. Trust me. Um, so just take some time, read through that instructions on how to fast. But the biggest thing is don't let it scare you. Don't let it frighten you. Try one meal 
just one meal this week and sit in that chair instead of having a meal. And then next week, try it again. Maybe the week after that, you go for for two meals, go for a 24-hour fast, and see what it does with your walk with God, what it does to heighten your awareness of God in your life and in the world around you. Accept our challenge. Bill's going to talk next week on Sabbath rest, and the week after that on solitude. I would just encourage you to be here each week for these, uh, these 21 days with God. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.